So, uh, good morning, everyone. By the way, my name's Evan. If you're new, welcome. My wife, Sandy, and I have the honor of, of leading this church. <clears throat> Today, we start a brand new series that really began through years of prayer and conversation with like-minded leaders, okay? So, for the last four years, I've been part of this little group of pastor friends, and we've been getting away once a year for about a week Five days to pray about our churches and to pray for each other and ask God what is his heart for us and for the church. And we believe God is speaking. We believe he's clarified seven or eight values for us as a community of leaders. And, and these seven or eight values, God wants us to orient our lives around them and our churches around them in this moment. And so, so out of these times of prayer uh, over years, uh, last spring, finally, last spring, two of those pastor friends, um, Dave Lomas, who spoke here last month, Dave Lomas from Reality San Francisco, uh, and then John Mark Comer, who's actually speaking here next month, he, he, John Mark and Dave got together and preached a series called Future Church out of our prayer times that, that they brought to their two churches at the same time. They preached it at the same time in both cities, Portland and San Francisco. And we're going to do the same thing. Here in San Diego, our church, Park Hill, is collaborating with, with two other churches in our city that we're in fellowship with. Neighbors Church, so Dan Braga and Alexis, and then Light Church with Benji and Jen Horning up in Encinitas. We're all starting this same series together today in our churches as if to say, hey, we're looking to the future and this is what we are all about and it's bigger than any one church or any one guy's vision, you know? This is something God is doing across churches and it's worth uniting over. In many ways, this series is just pulling you into an ongoing conversation we've been having for years here at Park Hill. A lot of it will feel familiar. It's just a, a logical clarity that's coming out of what we've already been doing. So if you're new here and you don't know what we've been doing, great day to show up, well done. Uh, if you've been here for a while, Again, it'll feel familiar, just more 3D, I think, where we're going as a church. So our series title, same series title, Future Church, The Way of Life for the Church of the Future. And so today's teaching is kind of, it'll feel slightly luxury, definitely Bible-based. The rest of the series will go deep into the way of Jesus and the scriptures. But today is going to set up, like, why this series and what should we expect and who is God calling us to become, all that. Um, so to set the tone, I had you turn to Psalm 80. We're going to read it together. There's three chunks in this psalm that are like choruses in a song. They repeat. That's the part we'll all read together. This psalm is a cry. Out of grief and loss, God's people want him to come and save and rebuild. And we find ourselves in the same place right now, don't we? A time of loss, collective grief, God save, do something. This is where this psalm comes from. So uh, here, here goes, ready? You read the bold, if, if you're watching the screen. Sorry, I know you're reading your Bibles too, but there you go, whatever. Um, Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Now here's the part for all of us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us. 
that we may be saved. Verse four, if you're reading in your Bibles, how long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You fed them with the bread of tears. You've made them drink tears by the bowlful. You've made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Verse seven, altogether. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your hand has planted, the sun you've raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It's burned with fire. The vine is his people. They're grieving right now. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you've raised up for yourself. That's Messiah. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we'll call on your name. Last part together. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes we need to read a psalm together through to get the emotional impact rather than dissecting it verse by verse and just live in it like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, come and save. Come and rebuild, restore individually and as a church all over the world. And Lord, we pray, we pray uniquely for Haiti and Afghanistan. We pray for people suffering grief and loss that we can't fathom, that we haven't experienced, both through the violent evil of oppressive regimes and the natural evil of disaster and earthquake and all of that. Lord, come, save, save. Repurpose evil for good, we pray. And for this series, we pray, God, uh, for a neighbor's church and Dan Braga, as he's preaching the same, the same sermon together as a united church, bless him, bring, bring him clarity as he preaches. And, and Benji, too, as he preaches. Lord, may you fill, fill his sail with the wind of your breath, that you would animate your church across San Diego and your glory would be seen. Not the glory of any one leader or any one church or any one movement, but the kingdom of God would shine forth and save. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's uh, start with a little audience participation. Raise your hand if you are new to Park Hill since COVID. Like March 2020. Real high, like proud and high. That's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a grip. It's a grip of hands. So one more time, those same hands. So if you've been here a while pre-COVID, look around, pick someone to introduce yourself to after the gathering. Those are your hands. It's all you. It's on you now. Um, okay, put them down. So, so for you newer folks that lifted your hands, Park Hill Church is what is called a church plant. Think like a startup, but yeah, that's in the, business, in the church world. There's a little overlap, but you get the picture. Three and a half years ago, about 35 people 10 households from Seattle and Portland, Orange County and San Diego, we all came together and we said, let's do this. 
Let's build our lives around Jesus's mission to San Diego. Let's plant a Jesus-following church. Don't know how exactly to do it. We have our best ideas. Let's go, you know? And, and, and we want to plant a church that plants more churches out of it. Again, don't know how to make that happen, but Jesus does. So uh, let's do this. And that's what we did, you guys. And now uh, our sister church, born a year and a half after us, neighbors, they, they exist. And they're meeting right now at Adams Elementary in North Park. And it's beautiful. God is bringing people into the faith through their congregation. Uh, and we have plans to plant more churches there's a couple embedded church planters in training on our team now because that's our vision. Um, and so we have this vision, we're rolling, and then boom, like COVID, all right? So March of 2020 hits. Everything kind of seems to grind to a halt. And then if, as a pastor, you know, you're like listening to other leaders. What is everybody doing? What, what do I do? This is crazy. No one knows what to do. And I'm listening to other pastors like, this will be three or four weeks tops. We'll soar back into, or like, this will be three months. It'll be, a those are like the doomsayers. They're like, this will be three months, you know? No one imagined, almost no one, imagined we'd be here, right here, 18 months later, looking over the edge of what many are calling a whole new era of human history. Nobody imagined that. And so the question is, where does the church locate itself in this? What is our role as God's city on a hill? As the darkness of the landscape is mixing with light and changing faster than we can follow, what's our role? What's our posture? And so the dream, like, <laughs> what, we're gathered in person, which is great, but what if God wants us to come back, like, even better than when we were gathering in 2019? Um, better spiritually, and here's, hopefully, you'll, you'll hear what I mean by that at the end of this talk. Um, what if we came back with a clearer, more united vision for who we are and what we're supposed to be doing? We're not wondering anymore. Uh, we're not on the fringe anymore. Uh, our cultural landscape is not the same as it was. I don't know if you've noticed. Like the, <laughs> uh, we have a lot of the same problems, just not this intensely, right? COVID magnified all kinds of junk. We're more divided than ever, divided as a culture, even in the way we talk. I feel like that has taken a, a southward turn, right? The way we dialogue. And with all these shifts come challenges for us as followers of Jesus. And I'm, the bulk of this teaching, I'm going to list eight challenges that we face as the church of the 2020s. And this whole series is kind of built around how the way of Jesus has already built in responses to these challenges that go back thousands of years. Um, and so Tim Keller, in his little book, How to Reach the West Again, it's back on the book table, but it's a little card with a QR code you can scan and get his book for free. It's like 60 pages long. It's an ebook and an audiobook both for free, go and scan it. You can scan the same card 100 times and you get it for free, just put in your email. Uh, he names, in that book, he names these eight challenges brilliantly and we have to name them. We can't just be autopilot anymore about these things as the people of God in the world. We have to face them and know what they are and how the gospel responds to them head on. So if you're new to Jesus or the church and you're here, or, you're, or maybe you're just new to faith, <clears throat> First of all, welcome, you're brave. Uh, second of all, what I'm about to say might feel intense. <laughs> and, and to that, I wanna say this. Everything we do, everything I'm about to say is run through this 
lens. This is the why. This is the vision of our church. Our church is built around Jesus' dream for the world, that God's kingdom of love would come through us in our time. This means, it demands, that we practice the way, the teachings of the Lord Jesus together as spirit-filled children of God in our city. We do this by being with him, to become like him, and ultimately to do what he would do if he were in San Diego in 2021. This is it. So keep that lens on on as we go through this series, this teaching, because the the eight problems I'm about to name are what make doing that so hard. They're obstacles to us doing that, the vision of Jesus. So are you ready for them? Number one, challenges to the way of Jesus in our time. Number one is individualism. Individualism. This is basically authenticity worship. Where, you know, be true to yourself. You do you. Speak your truth. Where that's the highest good, right? That's, that's seen as the highest good. If you're just authentic, that's the best. It doesn't matter what kind of authenticity. It's just authentic. Um, and and, and add, add to this, we're formed by a culture where most relationships are transactional. In other words, I will like you and you belong with me as long as you add value to my life. As long as you improve my life, I'll have you in my sphere. Like, <laughs> uh, case in point, it's getting more and more popular to, 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 to see workplaces talked about as communities. <laughs> if, if you Google workplace as community, there's all kinds of great little blogs you can watch. But like, never mind that you can be fired. You know what I mean? From your community. <laughs> like that's, if you don't perform, you get fired. That's not a great recipe for intimacy in community. Uh, not to mention Tinder and hookup culture, where again, you have to perform to belong. It's no wonder 40% of Americans now have one to zero confidants that see everything inside and they open themselves to. Mother Teresa put it bluntly, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. True intimacy can only live in a house built of commitment. But in a culture of non-commitment, individualism, I do me and you add value to me until you don't give me life anymore or whatever, um, where are people supposed to find true lasting intimacy? Like love you warts and all intimacy. In other words, how do we as the church fight individualism and live together in a thick web of relationships, a messy web of brothers and sisters in God's family. How do we do this when individualism is rampant? So uh, secondly, second challenge, idolatrous ideologies. So we're surrounded by this stuff, you guys. The, The left and on the right and everything in between, above and below. If you've been on social media at all in the last four years, or you've been in a college classroom, uh, you know this, people don't just debate anymore. They don't just like exchange ideas, like here's my theory about humans and about the world and about how I think society runs. Let me listen to your theory now and see how it improves on my view. Uh, no, like <laughs> ideas are, no, are very rarely shared to like benefit from opposing ideas, it, no, it's a war. There aren't, they're, they're not just ideas anymore, they're ideologies that people get their identity from, which is why it's idolatry. 
They get their sense of belonging and, and now a, a faux sense of community because they belong to the same group that thinks according to that version of, of the world. Um, and they become our primary source of identity, whether it's conservatism, progressivism, capitalism, socialism. We group up in these tribes. And, and, the, and the sad part is that followers of Jesus... <laughs> This is why it's so tragic. Followers of Jesus are caught up in this. Uh, more than ever in my life, I'm only 40, and, and what happens is you divide up in tribes and, and start throwing darts of judgment across the spectrum of ideology at the one on the opposite side, and they're, they're seen as bad people. Um, it's so sad when this divides people, children of God, and the kingdom. And so the question becomes, how do we stay faithful to the way of Jesus and the great tradition of the church in an age when so many of our friends are walking away from the faith because of ideologies? That's the question. And then third, moral relativism. Uh, this is be true to you and you can define good however you want with one condition. What's the condition? As long as it doesn't harm anyone else, right? Define what is, what's your good, what's your truth, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. Sounds great, but the problem with that, it's absurd. <laughs> it, it doesn't work. Why? Because harm, if something is harmful, it requires an agreed-upon definition of what is evil. We need to agree on what is good and evil. To call something hateful or harmful, we have to first agree on what good and harmful are. We have to, have, this, have to share the same basis for judgment. But we don't live in that world anymore, do we? And so we live with a deep, right now, moral confusion on what is good and what is evil and who is good and who is evil, right? And this is nothing new, right? Relativism is nothing new, but again, it's intensified now. We're bombarded by like propaganda of you do you and speak your truth, particularly around sexuality and gender, but plenty of other issues too, all across the political space. And the result is these tribal, this tribal chaos. But we're Jesus followers. So how do we stay true to Jesus' vision of the good life? He has one. He has a vision of the good life that's true, which makes the other visions false. He has a vision of right and wrong, and Jesus has a vision for where to find true meaning and purpose. And, and, and so, so how do we stay true to that? And number four challenge is uh, the digital revolution. I love tech. I'm not going to just, just, you know, advocate separatism from all tech. But we've been talking about this one for years. We, I think, are more formed by our smartphones and social media than we even, like, Realize. We talk about it, but I still think we haven't reached the depths of how formed we are. I was thinking about it yesterday. I joined Twitter in 2009. That's 12 years of thinking up stuff to say to people who are not in my real life. That has to affect my worldview. It has to affect my brain and my marriage and my, in ways I'm not even able to look back and calculate. As Ronald Rollheiser put it, we are distracting ourselves 
into oblivion. Uh, but it's gotten even darker than that recently because it's not just about feeding distraction or addiction. Now it's feeding tribalism. It's feeding echo chambers. It's feeding conspiracy theories. It's feeding cancel culture. And it's feeding anxiety. It's not just a neutral addiction anymore. So how do the people of Jesus live out Jesus' peace right now? Anxieties become the water we swim in. Even harder, how do we push peace forward? How do we make peace? Not just have inner peace, but make the judgments necessary to create peace in the world amidst all the rage. And on that note, challenge number five is political polarization. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm constantly, lately, hearing more and more people in their 70s and 80s say, you know, I've never seen a time so politically divided as right now. I'm only 40. I remember maybe the eight, you know, earliest president I remember is Reagan. But the guys that remember four to six presidents before that are like, this 2021 is, this is worse. Um, and again, the saddest part is how followers of Jesus are getting drawn away from the kingdom of God into the partisan power games. Our allegiance is first and foremost to God's kingdom, not the nation state of America. Our loyalty is to the multi-ethnic, multinational family of the lamb, not our own tribe. As followers of Jesus, this means our location is neither left, nor right, nor even center. Centrism is not the kingdom way either, you guys. Our allegiance is to the kingdom, which is a sphere beyond the dimension of the spectrum, but it comes into the world and intersects the spectrum in unexpected ways on right, left, center, and other, you guys. And it offends every party that exists, or should. And so the question becomes, how do we actually live that way? How do we do that when we feel like we're caught in a fishing net, like, like salmon, and we're just like forced down the stream with everybody else, forced into a ballot box or whatever? Uh, how do we love well when we live in the middle of a cultural civil war? This is a challenge to the way of Jesus. And number six, exhaustion. The first five challenges kind of feel like they're out there, you know? This one is right in your chair. This one exists right where you are, in your body right now. Take a deep breath. Maybe uncross your legs. Get that circulation going. Take a deep breath. Acknowledge the presence of God. Breathe in four seconds. Breathe out seven seconds through your belly, the whole deal. And, and answer in your mind, how, how are you sleeping? How are you waking up? How about that late night Netflix binge on Thursday? How about that? Was that cool? Or, or, or scrolling IG late night last night. Just, you guys, we're just too tired to live well. Not all of us, but more of us than we'd like to admit. With all our fatigue and running ragged, how do we stop and truly hear this from Jesus? Are you tired? I love this paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. Um, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. 
learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How do I unlock that? I want access to that. How do we tend our own souls and stay alive and vibrant and not miss the beautiful work God's tipping us over into? We're on the edge of a new moment and like, I don't want to miss what he's doing, but I'm exhausted. And tied to that, number seven is the challenge of careerism. So if you have a decent job, if you own a house, congratulations. You are likely on the better side, quote unquote better, of the growing gap between the rich and poor in America. And it's tragic. And if you're part of that growing upper class, nothing wrong with that, as long as you pay extra attention to Jesus when he says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. So what does that mean? What is that camel through the eye of a needle? That's really hard. It's in one word, it's careerism. This is productivity worship. This is giving your soul to your work every day in hopes that you don't just do more, but that you become more from your work. And the result is you become actually less human and more burnt out and greedy and the vicious cycle just eats itself. So as Jesus followers in every sphere of work, whether you're in the military or first responder or teacher, student, in any form of the union or private practice, whatever, like how does that work become something you see as for what it is as a follower of Jesus, a kingdom mission that will last into eternity through your God-like presence in that vocation? How do you see it that way instead of like a paycheck? Or, or better retirement or whatever only. Um, and so, and, and finally, finally, number eight, the final thing on the list, there's more things, but this is our list. Uh, injustice, injustice is a challenge. There's injustice everywhere. And, and there's tons of talk, right, about social justice right now, which is the right impulse. It's the right impulse to be concerned with the welfare of the poor. Uh, there's tons of debate over how to attack it, which is where you get into the heated stuff that we talked about before. But this is the great issue of our time. The world is crying out for oppressors to be brought down and the oppressed to be lifted up and repaid. And this is precisely the heart of God, to lift up the humble valley and bring down the arrogant mountain, God says himself. And so here's the sad part about this, we're, we're, we're spending some moments grieving stuff here today. The, 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 grieve, the grief is that historically the church has sat on the sidelines, right? And even been complicit in some of the greatest injustices of American history, whether it's slavery or Jim Crow or the, the events leading up to the civil, right, civil rights movement. Parts of the church, parts of the church has blood on our own hands for participating in injustice. What, but listen, at the same time, you have to acknowledge there were followers of Jesus, spirit-filled, following the way, of the, the way of Jesus in the Gospels, who rose up against those same injustices. William Wilberforce, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, imperfect humans, absolutely, but humans who led the way in fighting injustice wherever they could in their spheres, in Jesus' name. 
Okay, so you have this mixed bag of messy complicity and fighting against, right? And so here we are, here we are in 2021, similar moment. The justice conversation is center stage and the question is, the question exists outside the church. What's the church gonna do about this? What you gonna do, church? Are we gonna do justice like Jesus? giving up our rights to absorb the wrongs done to the vulnerable and, excuse me, and inconvenience ourselves? Are we going to inconvenience ourselves to lift up the ones society pushed down? Are we gonna do this? This is the question on everybody's minds. And so that's our list. Can you put the list up on the stage just to kind of let the weight, feel the weight of it just for a moment? And you'll find out in a moment, this is not our weight to carry alone. But, that, but that's a pretty hefty agenda. That's a pretty hefty to-do list. Eight challenges. So you can take it down. Pretty heavy. <laughs> Good. Done. So now, now that it's off the screen, listen. All, at, at the same time as all of that, I am full, full of hope for the church. Why? Because the church is often at her best when cultural hostility is at its worst. You can look at history, but look now around the world. The church is exploding in Southeast Asia, Africa, South America, areas where hostility to Jesus is off the charts, you guys. Arguably, do you know the fastest, arguably the fastest growing country where the church, the fastest growing church in any country, you know what country it is? Iran right now. It's Iran where it's literally illegal to proselytize uh, or convert from Islam. It's, it's not illegal necessarily to be a Christian, but if there's news of a conversion, watch out. And that's where the church is growing fastest. You guys, what if we saw this moment as a prelude to that kind of growth? What if we, we flipped our perspective from heaviness and anxiety to possibility? This is real. This isn't just like, this is like from, if we flipped from, oh no, the ideologies and all the angry people, all the you know, secular, they're coming and my American rights are gonna be taken away or whatever. Instead of that, we're like, how might this cultural moment unleash a new work of the Spirit. And where am I in that? God, lead me. Like, lead us. Park Hill, neighbors, Light Church. So as a community following Jesus right now in San Diego, how, how do we think that way? How do we make that shift from anxiety to possibility as a whole church? How do we do it? And here's, here's, what, I, here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I'm arguing this whole series long. This shift from anxiety to possibility, I believe it will take something like a rule of life. A rule of life. How many of you have heard that term? Rule of life. Yeah, it's not very familiar, but it's beautiful and it's ancient. Okay, it goes back thousands of years in God's family, all the way back to the earliest monasteries, actually. And I don't know if you've been to a monastery. Uh, don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. Sandy and I love Sandy, I love visiting this monastery in New Mexico. 
to pray and like lock in step with the brothers, the monks. They have their abbot, father guy that they love and serve and take orders from and cook for and stuff. And we just, as visitors, we're, in, we're embraced by their hospitality, eat their meals and pray with them. And, and we follow their rhythms or their rule. We follow their rhythms of life. And it's a powerful time that God has spoken to us both, my wife and I, in unique ways. And listen, if you know anything about monasteries, monasticism, if you know, monasticism monasticism is not perfect and it has its dark side, just like every big movement in church history, right? Because the church is humans. Humans tend to mess things up. Every movement gets messed up. Um, But the fact is, you guys, some scholars say these monasteries really did play an important part in guarding the gospel through the dark ages. So what does this all mean? Why am I saying this? Obviously, God, only God knows what the future will look like, precisely. But many people, including myself, believe that the future of the church is neo-monastic. It's neo-monastic. Not meaning we should all, we're all gonna be in a monastery, we should all go get robes. No, not, no. It's meaning the spirit is leading the Western church into a time of increased commitment to one another, to the scriptures, to rhythms of prayer and fasting and hospitality and generosity and acts of justice where we all see each other practicing them. We hold each other to them in love with with our own desires and our own will and our yes and amen to what the spirit is doing. And this is what We see Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, the renewal of the church will come from a new type of monasticism, which has only in common with the old an uncompromising allegiance to the Sermon on the Mount, meaning it's not monks in robes, it's not the old monasteries, but it has the same core commitment to shared life. Uh, It's high time men and women banded together to do this. Again, don't think living in a commune bubbled away withdrawing and escaping the world. Don't think that. Instead, think a shared agreement. I see you, you see me. When I don't look like Jesus, you tell me. When you don't look like Jesus, I tell you we're in this for the long haul. Shared commitment to the the way of life of Jesus or rule of life. This is what this series is doing. This This is where we're going as a church moving forward. This fall as a church, together with Neighbors and Light Church, and, and already together with Bridgetown and Reality, who have been unpacking this stuff with their churches this year, we believe the Spirit is calling us to commit to a rule of life. Again, if this language feels new and uncomfortable, totally with you, 100% on that. Please note this, though. Listen, it is rule singular, not rules, plural. The moment the rule becomes rules, you're missing the point. Uh, scholars say that word rule originally comes from a word that means trellis in a vineyard. You know, when you're driving by a beautiful vineyard and you don't, they're not on the ground, they're not laying down, rotting, getting eaten by bugs, they're, they're hoisted up, lifted up, and shown where to grow by a trellis, right? So the idea is for a vine, next, for a vine to bear much fruit, it needs a trellis or a rule, some support structure to lift it off the ground and tell it where to grow. For 1,500 years, this is the idea behind a rule of life for followers of Jesus. I don't know if you've had wine. I don't think they even can make wine from a vine that wasn't on a trellis. Just That's a weed, right? 
growing on the ground. Um, pretty pathetic vintage there, right? In the same way, for us followers of Jesus to abide in Jesus and bear fruit, we need a trellis. We need a kind of plan, a life structure to make space to thrive and to bear fruit and to flourish as Jesus' family. That's what a rule of life is. One way to talk about it, a rule of life is a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms to make space for us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he would do. It's making space for that. And then live in alignment because we want this. You can't do this unless it's something we desire. Can't be imposed. Andy Crouch defines it as a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. And this is our long-term goal as a church, to build our church around a rule of life. So how? How do we even do this? I kind of alluded to it already. My friend Dave Lomas, he puts it very well. He's been walking his church through this, and he says it this way. Go discover it. Discover your rule of life as a community. Don't make one. Discover one. The difference, you know, don't impose it from the top down. It's legalism. It doesn't work. Instead, invite the community to lean in, pay attention to the Spirit's voice, ask one another, ask the Spirit, search the Scriptures, and and ask, how are we sensing Jesus is leading us deeper into the Father's heart? In light of all these practices that come from Jesus, how can we make space? How can we agree with one another to make space for this? I think that's how we're going to do it. Our rule of life will be our shared commitment, our response to Jesus' beauty. It's a response to his beauty, guys. Our crucified, risen king. We're going to eat and drink his body and blood as a response. We're going to do it just like we do every week. And and everything else in our life toward the kingdom is a response to the beauty of Jesus. And he's with us, empowering us to do this too. He's not just saying, hey, come do this. I'll see you when you get here. He's saying, I'm with you to the end of the age, empowering you. And, And honestly, looking back at our church history, like Park Hill for the last three and a half years, this is what we've been moving toward all along, really. We've been talking about scripture reading and community and prayer and fasting and doing justice from the beginning of our church, you guys, right? So, so here's, here's the plan. Here's the plan. Over the next two months, we're gonna take each of those eight challenges and respond to them with the way of Jesus. We'll look at a practice that comes straight from Jesus and it's specifically geared to form us toward Jesus's image and away from the image of culture, right? Uh, away from the world and toward the kingdom. And so from, from, from these eight practices, we'll develop a rule of life. Like, what does this look like for us? And so very broadly, very broadly, none of this is super new to our church. Um, it's just very clear and intentional. And so very broadly, here's the eight practices. So here, Here's the first four. So that top one, a community of tight-knit loving relationships and a culture of individualism through the practice of community. So see how community is answering and it's the antidote to individualism there. And the second one, a community of orthodoxy in a culture of ideological idolatry. How? Through the practice of scripture. 
And number three, a community of holiness in a culture of moral relativism through the practice of prayer and fasting. A community of peace in a culture of fear through the practice of silence and solitude. A community of peacemakers in a culture of political division <laughs> through the practice of hospitality, loving your enemies in your own dinner table. A community of rest and a culture of exhaustion through practicing Sabbath. A community of contributing in a culture of careerism through the practice of vocation. Not career, but vocation. A community of justice in a culture of social Darwinism through the practice of simplicity and generosity. You guys, we're gonna walk through these together these eight weeks, and as we do, we wanna invite everyone to start dreaming. Like when the spirit comes, the prophet Joel prophesies, the old and young men and women will dream dreams and prophesy about what God is doing in their midst. So be free, be free to dream according to your life stage. Like we have people with kids in this room holding their babies and we're gonna dedicate them and over the lunch and we have people without kids. We have unmarried, lots of unmarried in this church, lots of married in this church. And this makes for all kinds of different life stages, right? And all our work is different. Some of us work more than others, harder than others, farther than others, whatever. Um, what does a rule of life look like for you? But then not just for you, we're actually looking for a rule of life for Park Hill as a whole as well that's broad. And it's almost not heavy-handed again, not legalistic, but like this is how we follow Jesus together kind of thing. This is clearly what we're called to. And it's a great time to, to be thinking about this, right? We're all coming out of COVID, need to sync back up. And so let me just say too, this will take years. It'll take years. Yeah, the series is eight weeks, but it's not like, you know, uh, we're all just gonna like add these things to our life and it'll fit, right? You know, eight, eight weeks, that's not the idea at all. Fat chance, no point in even trying. You and I are, are, are gonna expand and grow in these things for the long haul. And the hope is that they become part of your rhythm so they become like, ver like second nature re responses to you in life, right? Like you learn, you practice Sabbath, you learn to Sabbath better and better and therefore you're like, oh, I'm, I'm a measurably patient, more patient person now. Or uh, you learn scripture, you're like, man, I've committed to owning the epistles of Paul this year. And I really, really love that I'm justified by faith in Jesus. I get it. And, and you, so you learn to resist ideology through practicing scripture. And, and maybe, you know, through the practice of fasting, five, 10 years from now, you learn self-control over my body, like through the practice of fasting in your body. And through silence and solitude, you learn how to live without your phone, you know? And through practicing hospitality, you learn how to welcome the stranger and eventually you learn how to welcome people into the kingdom of God at your dinner table through practicing the way of Jesus through hospitality, through practicing vocation, not just careerism, but vocation. You, you suddenly, you know how to wake up and say, my work is not for just a paycheck or a bigger house. <laughs> no, I'm being called by God for his mission through my job. And I guess, I'm, I guess I'm being generous without even knowing it now. Like, you just wake up one day and you're vocationally minded. And through the practice of community, you learn what it means to know and be known and be open and be transformed through honest, transparent community. Like these, this is, those things are Christianity, right? <laughs> like when you read the Bible, 
those things are basic Christianity, but when we actually think about them today, they become radical, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, this is insane level Christianity, stretch goal, whatever. Um, no, it's like basic, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and so if you're feeling, oh my gosh, what is going on? Uh, I wanna say the, the, the most important thing um, that I could say after leading us through you know, what does it look like to be the church of future, all that. Like, none of it matters unless, unless we have this. First and foremost, more than anything else, we need a radical recommitment to the way of the Lord Jesus and receive the power of his spirit. You need the Holy Spirit or else none of this matters. An inspirational series, eight weeks on, you know, culture and scripture and doing it with churches, maybe viewing it negatively, it's like gimmicky or whatever. That can feel fun and like you're part of something. You can even make a rule of life and you put it on your fridge. Not enough to turn you from anxiety to possibility. Not enough to turn you into a person of love. To actually get underneath your motives and transform your desires into, into Christ's. You need the Holy Spirit. who comes as you confess that Jesus is Lord. And I say the Lord Jesus intentionally because we often think of him as a great teacher. He has a way and we practice his way and we do what Jesus did. He's our guru. But he is the Lord of creation, the only thing that is uncreated. And he commands the allegiance of the universe and he desires relationship and intimacy with us and then teaches us how to follow him. He is Lord. He is the king worthy of allegiance and praise. No, I'm not, you know, I'm, the temptation for me is to give myself my own allegiance and me do me. There's no room for me do me in the kingdom of God. Jesus actually has the best vision for me my highest good, I can't make it up. Jesus has defined it. I receive it from the Lord, from the throne room of heaven through confessing him as Lord and then saying, yes, his way is true. I then say, Lord, help me do your way because I can't without you. And then he gives you and me his spirit to do it. This is ground zero for all of this. Without this, the rule of life just becomes rules. It's not something we want. It's not something that changes us. It's something we dabble in, right? How many of you, like, many of us dabble, this is the last thing on my notes, many of us dabble in Jesus, right? Like, we dabble in workouts or diets or hiking. I dabble in hiking. Post pictures on Instagram every time I do to make it look like I hike a lot. Or I take more pictures and I change my shirt so I can look like I'm, just kidding, I don't do that. I'd never have done that. <laughs> but we dabble. Why? Why do we dabble in workouts and diets and stuff, keto, whatever, whatever the latest? Uh, maybe guilt? Maybe it's like I should be something else. I should, maybe it's appearance, guilt or appearances. Those are reasons. And that wedding's coming up. I'm just going to dabble. I'm just going to like 12-week hardcore dabble. Um, 
I think we dabble in Jesus for the same reasons. We feel guilty for not showing up properly to things, uh, for not looking, coming off the way we should come off. And so we're like, oh, shoot, dang, it's a new year. I got to dabble. I got to get back. Um, I got to swing back around. I need to look better. So we come to Jesus for a while. Um, and so for a lot of us, before we can talk about a renewal and revival and looking at what God's future and all, before we can actually do any of that and committing to each other, a lot of us just need to repent of dabbling in Jesus today. A lot of us need to repent of dabbling in Jesus because I think the word right now for our church is it's time to, it's time to train. Like if you're gonna be a hiker, it's time to, it's time to hike. It's time to get, get on the trail. Um, it's time to train in the way of Jesus. Commit to Jesus as Lord. Confess his teachings lead to life. They don't just lead to a better version of you. Uh, they lead to eternal life in his kingdom, under his agenda. Um, and for that, he gives you the power of the spirit. All you have to do, the one requirement to receive his power, admit you need it. Admit you need it. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, if, you are a good, if you're all good fathers, disciples, you're all you with kids, if you're good dads, if your kids are hungry, you're not gonna throw them a rock. How much more will my Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God has obligated himself to respond with power and presence to the one who humbly admits they need his power and presence to live. But Jesus also said, if you think you're well, he didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. In other words, those who admit they are, because everyone is. So how are we going to come to Jesus today? How are we going to come to God's future for our church? Are we going to come going, Lord, I am, I am sick. I know I'm loved, but that's established. I'm also, I'm also sick. I have habits that deform me. I have desires that lead me away from the kingdom. I, I hold on to ideologies that lead me away from the kingdom of God and more towards the bickering and the divisiveness of the world. They don't come from scripture or Jesus's vision. I'm sick, I have sin. That's sin, you guys. And maybe you're walking with Jesus and you're a Christian and, and, and you're, you're being made more like Jesus, but we, have, we all have a long way to go. And so we're being called by Jesus today on the, on the cusp of the new. Will we respond and say, I need the power of the Spirit. I need the power of the Spirit. Otherwise, I'm, I'm asleep. I'm asleep. And choosing to stay that way. So, so if we could close our eyes, and we're going to come to the table in a moment, but we're also going to have a time of five minutes, maybe seven minutes of prayer. We'll have leaders up front just to pray for you. If, if you sense after... after when we start, yeah, come, up, come on up and start playing music. As we start singing the song, leaders will be up front. If you sense, yes, I want to admit my need for God. I want to do it with a leader. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to let go of, maybe you've been abusing the church. We talk about the church abusing us, and that happens sometimes. That happens a lot of times, and you see it in the news a lot of times, and it's absolutely something to call out and to renounce and to work against. It's injustice, 100%. But we can also abuse the church. How? We can come treating it like an ATM machine and dabble and then ghost. Dabble and ghost. 
without ever, without ever committing to the trellis, without, without ever saying yes to the bride of Christ's belonging, even though it's messy. And maybe today God's calling some of us to say, I, I, I let go of my ebb and flow and I commit. Like Peter, I wanna say, where else shall I go? Only with you is the words of life, Jesus. And so if that's, you know, if that's resonating, I wanna read this over us. And as soon as I'm done reading, I'm gonna walk away and there'll be people up front to pray for you during this song. And then after this song, we'll take communion. But here's Jesus. Here's Jesus' words. Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Holy Spirit, would you come? Lead us to Jesus. Lead us to the one who said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. We come to you now. Because only you have the words of flourishing life. Only you have the words of the good life. So we're gonna sing, come forward, feel free to receive prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Just to receive the power of the Spirit for a new chapter of your life, for a new fall, a new year, a new moment in world history. <laughs> to be the church in this time is a joy. But let's, let's all cry out how much we need God. Feel free to come forward.